Welcome to episode four of the Heart Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we'll be discussing both the micro and macro elements of what it takes to build sustainable and equitable cities. Our guests touch on current societal dilemmas that impact this work, such as pollution emission and resource allocation, in addition to implications that we should consider as we look towards the future. Co-hosting with me on this episode is my friend and colleague, Dr. David Embrick, who is an associate professor in the sociology department and Africana Studies Institute at the University of Connecticut. In addition to his research contributions, Dr. Embrick is also the director of the Sustainable Global Cities Initiative at the beautiful Yukon Hartford campus. Thank you again for joining me for the conversation, David. Our first guest, Dr. Davis Jacon, is an assistant research professor in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering and the Human Rights Institute at the University of Connecticut. He completed his PhD in Transportation and Infrastructure Systems at Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana in 2018. His dissertation looked at the role of transportation infrastructure in building economic resilience in the U.S. Great Lakes regions. He grew up in Cusco, Peru, where he obtained a Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering at the University of San Antonio Abad of Cusco, and he also earned a Master of Science in Civil Engineering from the University of Puerto Rico at Mayagüez. In his spare time, Davis enjoys traveling, hiking, and exploring historical places. Our second guest and my good friend from the Valley of the Sun, Enrique Bojorquez, is a Planner 3 with the City of Phoenix Planning and Development Department. He oversees long-range planning along the Salt River, Rio Salado, to further the vision of Rio Reimagined and works on a variety of special planning assignments. Mr. Bojorquez has a Bachelor of Science in Urban Planning and a Master's in Public Administration from Arizona State University. Mr. Bojorquez possesses over six years of experience in county and municipal planning. I appreciate you all for joining us for this important and timely conversation. Let's jump right in. We would like to begin by acknowledging that the land on which we gather is the territory of the Mohegan, Mashantucket Pequot, Eastern Pequot, Scaticoke, Golden Hill Pawgusset, Nipmuc, and Lenape peoples, who have stewarded this land throughout the generations. Really excited to have our guests today, some of which I am meeting for the first time, and others I have a, a long-standing history with that spans from across the country, all the way from Arizona. So yeah, without further ado, I think to kick us off with our first question, you know, I'd really love to hear a little bit more about you uh, as, a, as a person, as a human, as a professional and the work that you're currently engaged in. And so I'm, I'm wondering, Davis, if, if, you could, if you could kick us off with this question, please. Uh, good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Davis Chacon Hurtado. I'm an assistant research professor uh, in the Department of Civil Engineering and Environmental Engineering and the Human Rights Institute at the University of Connecticut. I am originally from Peru. Um, I live for some time in Puerto Rico and in Indiana. Um, right now, you know, doing like some research here as part of the Engineering for Human Rights Initiative, which is a joint effort between the School of Engineering, um, the OBPR, the Office, uh, the Vice Provost for Research, as well as the Human Rights Institute here at the University of Connecticut. Um, as I say, most of my work is related to the intersection of engineering and human rights, and I've been developing uh, some like um, teaching and, and research in these areas. Uh, my work pretty much covers, you know, three main areas that, you know, have to do with developing some theoretical frameworks at the intersection of human rights and engineering. Is that what, what, what we mean 
uh, when we talk about human rights and, and engineering, how do these, how do these fields uh, intersect and kind of coming out with principles or standards so we can frame some of the um, engineering uh, responsibility towards um, society, right, or environmental protection. Uh, a second area of my work is related to um, transportation systems. I mean, by training, I'm an engineer, I'm a transportation engineer, and that particular area tries to explore some of the societal impacts of infrastructure development, specifically transportation and some of the equity or environmental justice aspects um, related to, to infrastructure. And the third one, which is a new area actually we're just starting, is related to engineering education and the development of a workforce for the future that are going to address some of these emerging issues related to climate change, inequality, and how is that engineers could get motivated and trained to address some of these issues. Um, as I say, I'm originally from Peru, uh, so I really enjoy hiking and you know, I'm very happy to be in the Connecticut area with all the trails we have around. And I also enjoy visiting historical places. So New England is probably the best place to do that. And so I've been here um, for a couple of years already. So, um, and I really enjoy like cooking too. So that's something I also trying, you know, the new cuisine in the area. So very nice to meet you all. Awesome. Thank you so much, Davis, for, for joining us. Uh, it sounds like you have a, a rich history, uh, not only personally, but also educationally speaking. And uh, given that you're a hiker, um, I'm not sure if you venture to Arizona, but we have lots of trails in Arizona, a lot, very mountainous. Uh, just avoid the summer. <laughs> uh, yeah, because you might, you might die a heat stroke out there, but yeah, uh, bring lots yeah. of water. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> lots of ice and lots of water for sure. But yeah, so happy to so happy to have you here. Um, and yeah, with that said, and Enrique, um, would love to hear a little bit about your yourself and the work that you're engaged in. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity to to be here. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Enrique Bojorquez Ajiola. I live here in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, um, and essentially, to share a little bit about me, uh, I was I'm originally from Mexico. I was very fortunate enough to grow up in two countries, both Mexico and also the United States. Uh, so first generation American. Um, and in terms of my educational background, I uh, started high, my higher education uh, pathway through the community college here in, um, in the county of Maricopa. So I attended Phoenix College, earned an associate's degree, um, and then transitioned on to Arizona State University. Uh, that's where I essentially got involved with urban planning. Uh, that's where I majored in, in terms of my, my bachelor's degree, got a minor in sustainability as well. And then uh, that, uh, that, that basically led on to my master's degree, also with Arizona State University in public administration. Uh, and that's essentially where I uh, have been spending the last uh, few years working at uh, in local government here in, uh, in the state of Arizona uh, in you know, primarily municipal planning, both in the county level and at the city level. Right now, I'm essentially working as a city planner with the city of Phoenix. Uh, have a total of six years of experience in the, the planning field, three years with the city of Phoenix. Um, essentially, some of the work uh, that I currently engage in with the city of Phoenix uh, is to serve as a community planner. Uh, we call it a village planner here, uh, essentially working with the community, analyzing uh, new development proposals uh, that come in for rezoning. When somebody wants to change the, uh, the use of their land uh, from residential, for example, to commercial or industrial, that's something that I get a chance to look at uh, for a, uh, a part or a region in the city of Phoenix. Um, and I also am helping out with some efforts uh, to plan along the Salt River. 
or Rio Salado, as we refer to it here locally, uh, essentially trying to revitalize uh, properties along the banks of the Salt River, just making it a place that's inclusive for everyone, uh, making it a local and, and regional destination. So that's a, a little bit of a little bit about me. All right, thank you so very much. And to the uh, podcast audience, I'm David Emberick. I'm the director of the research on resilient cities, racism, and equity here at UConn Hartford. Um, it's a it's a it's a definitely a pleasure for me to be invited back uh, to serve as a co-host to the wonderful Omar. Um, and um, you know, uh, let's let's kick it off with um, maybe. Um, you know, have a, a, a brief conversation about what it means, what it means to you to actually build cities that are focused on equitable development, environmental justice, or sustainable growth. When I when I hear uh, that question, you know, the terms equitable development, environmental justice, sustainable growth, from the city planning perspective, um, I basically envision having a diverse range of development types, you know, residential, commercial, industrial, uh, not having a, a single uh, development type, just having uh, more of a variety. Also, I envision um, having a lot of different uh, types of housing uh, for different age age groups. Um, you know, singles, uh, elderly, uh, families, both uh, small and large. Also, uh, when I when I think about that, I'm also thinking of transportation choices. Um, so just having a wide variety of transportation choices, um, you know, not everyone likes to likes to bike or not everyone likes to uh, ride a car. So I think having a lot of different, um, you know, transportation choices is important to be, uh, you know, to be more sustainable, uh, to have more equitable, um, equitable cities. Um, I also I also think of uh, equitable distribution of developments. So not not having a concentration of um, you know for example industry in one particular part of town maybe having a lot of different places where industry uh, you know housing commercial uses can exist um, so I think that's that's something that's important um, and similarly with transportation just having a, a network that's available to a lot of different a lot of different folks in the city um, and I'm I'm also uh, when I when I think of my my daily duties in terms of uh, growth. Um, I'm also thinking, you know, what are some ways to maybe encourage more infill development in cities, uh, you know, rather than promoting sprawl. So I think here in the city of Phoenix, there's some uh, some policies in place to help promote some infill development. Um, you know, not, not concentrating that within within the existing um, you know central part of the city where we have a lot of the infrastructure, a lot of the uh, a lot of the networks already in place. Uh, and the last thing that I think of with this question is also engaging with stakeholders. I think it's important to have a diverse, uh, you know, a, a diverse set of uh, opinions uh, at the table when discussing a lot of these different issues. So I think engaging with stakeholders is important. Um, and then one project that comes to mind here, um, you know, that I have interacted with um, in my current role is uh, uh, an equ equitable TOD plan. Uh, it's a plan that was recently adopted by the city of Phoenix. It's called the South Central TOD plan. Uh, it basically extends a light rail line from downtown Phoenix uh, to a southern, the southern part of the city uh, through a you know neighborhood that was uh, historically uh, disproportionately affected by some of these issues. So I think that's also uh, one specific project that, that comes to mind. So um, I think that would be it for me. Great, thank you. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I, I just would like to add that um, 
you know, along, along the same lines that, as Enrique's, um, when I think about like sustainable cities, I really think about these cities where everyone will have access to opportunities, to socioeconomic opportunities, and really, you know, realize this idea of like what it means economic development, but as a, as a city, that this development could be realized without necessarily compromising, you know, any other um, sustainable, you know, development outcomes, right? Especially not only for the city, but also what it means downstream or upstream, you know, we're going to perhaps, you know, develop the city, but using some resources that may actually affect some other communities in like a different part of the world. So I really think uh, about this in a holistic way that, you know, we could consider the whole supply chain of the things that we're using. Um, I mean, what I'm saying this is because we're very close to um, reach, you know, the 8 billion mark, uh, I think it's November 15, that is expected that we'll reach, you know, the 8 billion mark worldwide in terms of population. And back, you know, even in 2020, even um, um, Antonio Guterres, he, he highlighted how um, the COVID-19 pandemic really was kind of like an X-ray that, that showed us like the fragility of our systems how the inequality in our cities really puts, you know, people at the most vulnerable levels really, really in danger when you have this type of shocks. So I think it's it's important to consider how this will evolve in our cities as we are right now, you know, about perhaps 50 to 60% of urbanization worldwide, but we have some other cities that are over 80%, 85%. So how is that we envision this in the future to have, you know, this smart growth? these sustainable cities of the future as we are, you know, requiring a lot of resources. Right now, you know, we know that perhaps uh, most of the greenhouse gases that we have, like 70%, over 70% of those are being produced by cities, right? But at the same time, like over 70% of the economic activity that happens everywhere in the world, you know, it's happening in cities. So it's the, the, the powerhouses of, of development. But how do we ensure that that development will happen without necessarily affecting our planetary boundaries, to call it in that way? So that's the way, you know, I, I really think about the idea of a smart growth and sustainable um, development in cities. All right. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a bit curious, and 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 uh, maybe that's uh, when when you hear somebody say that it's kind of dangerous, right? Yeah, I'm curious, but I think it's fortunate that that, that we have the two of you here um, because we can. Uh, there's definitely some um, different perspectives, I think. But but I'm curious about um, your take on the word sustainability. Um, you know, we. And the reason I'm asking is I, I took over as director for what used to be the Sustainable Global Cities Initiative, and this was about a year ago. And we made the name change partially because we found that uh, there was a lot of community members that didn't really understand what the word sustainability me meant um, in general, and that it maybe it was more of an academic term that academics talk to one another as opposed to sort of um, reaching out to community. We, we There's also another end of that debate. Um, you know, which is about, uh, you know, sustainability is about sort of maintaining cities for the future, but it doesn't really attend to equitable issues. So you can sustain cities to maintain that kind of inequitable uh, kind of components of the city that carry along, as opposed to resilient cities that are about change um, and change for the better. So, I mean, that was the reason why we, I think, partially change it to resilient cities. But I'm, I'm curious that sort of um, what your understanding of it is and, and what your thoughts are on that term. I, I mean, in, in terms of, of, of sustainability, I think, um, as you say, there, there are a lot of like uh, discussions, especially in the academic world of what uh, sustainability, sustainability means. And something that we've been trying to do, at least in, in the, my work with the Human Rights Institute and the School of Engineering is actually to use kind of like a tandem approach of perhaps using the sustainability language to refer mostly to 
um, environmental aspects and how these are, you know, in a dynamic with, with, the, with, the, with society. But we're also using the human rights language to focus on the societal outcomes of like um, what probably has been missing, you know, in these discussions of understanding sustainability. Although, you know, sustainability, we know that it covers, you know, all these three dimensions, but it feels like, you know, in terms of the applied side, it's been mostly, you know, understood as something that refers mostly to the environment. So that's why we're like including human rights as part, you know, of a holistic approach in terms of the projects that we include, uh, that, that we do uh, in, in the Union for Human Rights Initiative. I would also agree as well that it, it is a fairly large, a fairly broad term, sustainability. Uh, but in terms of what I what I think of when I uh, come up come across that term is I think living within our means, um, you know, more on the environmental, uh, I think, side, um, you know, living within our means, uh, health, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, accommodating for population growth. Um, I think that's just sort of, you know, what comes to mind um, and just trying to find strategies uh, in terms of my field to be able to uh, kind of balance, you know, both growth, but also being able to um, being able to, you know, accommodate uh, within within our means of, of what, what resources we, we have. That's awesome, y'all. Th th thank you so much for for that response, and and uh, and thank you, David, as well for for your uh, curiosity question. I think <laughs> well said. It's like sometimes it's like, uh oh, where is this going uh, when when uh, folks get asked that question? But I think you know, I in in hearing both responses to to the first question and to David's inquiry, you know, I I heard some uh, some some uh, definitely a lot of similarities, and also this this connection, br you know, bridging resources and connectivity and and input from the community but also i i heard some essence of like inequities as well you know tapping into inequities identifying inequities and it's so interesting because like working in education uh and and studying at policy there, there it, we exist on this continuum where we have reached this point where we're at because of historical you know power imbalances uh, and we're also in a in a position where you know we're we're also reckoning with this. I, I don't even want to call it a post pandemic. I feel like we're still very much in the midst of it. But also, uh, Davis, as you mentioned, there's population growth. There's uh, resources at stake. Um, with you know which which are are always uh, limited, right? And and they will continue to be limited, especially as the population increases. And so I'm curious for the both of you. Uh, tapping into this theme of inequities, like how do the both of you actively work to address these inequities in your subject areas to disrupt this systemic bias, like what's brought us to this point in the development and the establishment of cities and smart cities and uh, sustainable cities? So, um, yeah, ha happy to hear uh, from the both of you, whoever would like to take the question first. Well, I would say for this for this particular question, um, uh, what I what I try to do in my line of work here as a city city planner with local municipality uh, is to try to provide an equal level of service to uh, all the residents that I serve, uh, be able to kind of share uh, my knowledge, share the knowledge of the current process, the system. That way, uh, you know, through learning, we're essentially empowering the community. Uh, to be able to be be you know more engaged and understand how the uh, the system works, and it, I will admit it, it can be very complex uh, sometimes, and not a lot of community members understand you know the development process from uh, you know from the uh, the city side. 
So definitely, I think it's important, um, and that's one of the ways that I try to uh, try to empower uh, individuals. Also, uh, thinking of ways of uh, improving the process, uh, you know, the application process, um, some other other processes uh, internally that might might be able to make the process a little bit smoother, um, and then be able to share that with colleagues as well. Uh, you know, when when the time arises uh, for that. Um, and then I'm thinking long term as well, um, you know, hoping to be in a position here um, to be able to also uh, keep empowering individuals um, and just being able to um, just being able to help address some of these social social issues through uh, through my my world of urban planning. Um, in my case, you know, as, as, a, as a researcher, um, one of the things that we try to include is really thinking broadly. What are you know the 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 connections between all these problems that we're seeing, right? Uh, thinking holistically. Um, something, for example, that is very common in among like many cities is the, the the problem of homelessness, right? And there are a lot of cities trying to address this problem. But then the question that we try to ask is like, what's really behind that? You know, what are some of the structural problems behind in terms of like, for example, realizing Article 25 of the, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in terms of um, access to housing, right? Standards of living. And something that we are using as part of the human rights framework is also this idea of indivisibility and in, 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 in interconnection between different like like human rights. Like for example, if you want to talk about economic development, you first need to realize you know access to health, and then if you need access to health, you need to access uh, access to education, access to health, and then all that is based still you know on the idea of access to to like housing, for example. So it's really understanding how all these things are interconnected, bringing these holistic perspectives into the research that we're doing, and that requires a lot of collaboration from, from different researchers. So as part of my work, um, one thing that we do is try to bring different people from different perspectives, different areas to, to, discuss, um, to discuss these topics. Um, another thing that we try to do is to bring the voices of the communities that are being affected, really, you know, engaging with communities. And this is uh, an ongoing process that we're doing. Actually, we have uh, next February an event where we're inviting different communities to discuss the whole idea about um, clean energy or electromobility and how they see playing a role in the whole uh, revolution for clean energy, right? And the final thing that we do is to include our students in some of our projects um, that we do. For example, we work with engineers with our borders and do these implementation tricks because when, when the students get to get these experiences, like, you know, like community work, they start realizing that, you know, community is more than just like some, like some people who will receive this technology, right? These passive receivers of technology, they, they, they need to become like, you know, partners in the work that they are doing. So it's kind of like also developing this particular sense of understanding the, the problems and understanding community engagement for, for, for the students as they will be the, the future workforce um, that we'll have. And something that I wanted to add to some of the previous comments um, regarding um, urbanization, right? Uh, something that we, we, we discuss a lot, you know, a lot of the issues of, of let's say sustainability, right? It's the, 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 the growth in, in terms of the population. But at the same time, we have to be aware that, you know, the whole problem related to climate change is related to population, but it's not necessarily, you know, that the, the, the biggest problem, right? Because we know that where population is growing around the world, that we have like Latin America, but then those places are also 
cities that are not necessarily emitting a lot of the greenhouse gases, right? I think the main problem that we have is really the, the way in that a lot of our cities or, or, or patterns, the way that we that we live, right? Like so, or consumption patterns. I think that's really the, the, the biggest driver in terms of like some of the issues that we have with climate change and something that as i said before you know as we're reaching as we're close to reach this 8 billion mark in terms of the population i think a lot of the discussion is like you know population growth is really causing a lot of these issues but you know you think about the areas that are growing like significantly in terms of population versus the areas that are emitting a lot of the greenhouse gases there's like a special mismatch there so i think we and that, that's why I'm saying that in the part of the research, we try to identify the problems, like, you know, what's behind these problems that we have, rather than saying, okay, let's let's try to fix the symptoms, right? Let, let's understand what's behind. I am, I am, that is really, I am so glad that you brought in um, sort of the, the, the community uh, and the engagement part. Uh, I think that um, uh, for a lot of reasons, I think one is that, you know, there still is a wariness of, of community um, folks in terms of the type of research that universities do, that do um, and that wariness has to has to do with maybe past, uh, you know, projects that have sort of led universities to come in and take, take, take and not really listen to sort of respond to uh, resident voices. But um, but also like, you know, part of my excitement is, is um, you know, I, I, I was very fortunate to um, be able to uh, visit again. I've, I've been there. Uh, quite a few times about Barcelona this summer, and I got to know um, some folks that are in the municipality uh, movement, um, the Barcelona Ancamu, and um, uh, you know their their mayor, current mayor uh, Ada Calau, who's also I think part of that movement. But uh, it's all you know a lot of it is resident-led kind of movement in terms of taking the city back, right? Kind of uh, pushback against neoliberalism, but 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 taking the city back and ma making it sort of more sustainable or more resilient. Um, and and there were all kinds of initiatives. I'm telling you, like I was there, they were they were talking about like you know, closing down the 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 main thorough uh, streets um, on the weekends uh, to allow for residents to sort of walk through. It becomes a very walkable city to have um, sort of the basic human rights needs um, available to um, you know every every resident that lives within 15 minutes walking. You know, and and to have like really solid but um, you know. Um, um, variations of transportation so that, you know, 60% of the residents don't even need to own a car um, and, they're, and they're relying on other modes of transportation. And so these are all sort of pushes by the residents about, um, you know, um, taking the city. So I'm glad to sort of hear that. I'm, I'm wondering what your take is on sort of the importance of, of bridging um, both uh, sort of research from sort of a university standpoint and the community, not just students, but but residents in the community in terms of um, um, terms of action, right? Um, the the the, the praxis part of the research, right? The research to praxis in in building um, equitable cities. David, that that's a great question, and and one of the key things based on my experience, especially in Puerto Rico, um, was that we really need to develop this partnership with the communities in the long term, right? One recent event that we have last year was related, for example, to people with disabilities, and this type of events was to invite people with disabilities to talk about some of the transportation challenges and opportunities that they see, like in the state of Connecticut, for example. And this event was mostly to hear their voice, to learn about their concerns. And we invited also um, policy, local policymakers. And it was a very interesting dialogue where um, we actually learned a lot of things that sometimes we take for granted. But for these communities are like significant challenges to you know, realize simple things like accessing opportunities. 
Um, but that's, you know, that's my take. That's something that we need to develop in the long term and really make communities feel that they are partners in, in like long-term partners in these processes. And that's why we need institutions at the university that could be through, you know, um, like centers or extension programs that, you know, could bring that, that, that connection with the communities. Yes. Yep. I think from the, um, uh, local planning side, uh, I certainly do agree. Community is, uh, very important, uh, for example, um, you know, for developing land use plans or future, you know, um, you know, general plans to kind of help guide, um, you know, development in a specific area or citywide. I think having a community is very important. Um, going out, engaging with the community, but also, as mentioned, um, you know, being able to uh, also deliver uh, and being able to also not only extract information, um, but also being able to uh, deliver on some needs that the community has. Um, one example uh, that I talked about earlier was the South Central TOD plan. Uh, it was a, uh, you know, transit-oriented development plan uh, along a specific area here in the city of Phoenix, and that plan has some uh, has some action items both for government for the community and for also uh, for other uh, private stakeholders and he basically outlined some of the some of the specific actions that the community wanted to see from from each of those uh, different different partners um, and also that 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 provides the city a guide to be able to see what are some very specific things that we can deliver in terms of uh, surveys uh, or specific you know capital improvement projects on the city so that's also very, very important, but definitely community um, community engagement early on and also long term, um, you know, just becoming partners is, is very important. That, that that was so powerful, y'all. Like, David, thank you so much for that that question and, and, and thank you uh, to our guests for for your answers as well. And, you know, inadvertently, I, I love that we kind of touched on the theme of the seasons of the heart podcast that is uh, community that's community centered. Like, what are we doing for the community? What are doing? What are we doing with the community? Some words that kind of stood out to me were, you know, holistic approaches. What are behind the problems that we're seeing? Oftentimes we address symptoms, but we're not proactive about the issues that we're encountering or that we will encounter looking towards the future based on, you know, population changes, climate changes, energy changes, just resources, right? Uh, we're in the, uh, are in a constant state of flux. And um, Davis, you, you mentioned extractive research. I'm not sure if you've come across this term uh, drive-by research, which just, you know, you just, you, you intake what you need and what you want and dip, you know, it's like, there's no connection to the community. There's no inquiry about the community. And even though I know it's not directly related to your, both of y'all's, uh, the, the three of y'all's wheelhouse, there was a really interesting conversation that we had in our previous podcast episode focused on racial, racial establishing like racial uh, equity um, initiatives. And it's uh, one of our guests mentioned that oftentimes the folks that are closest to the problem are the ones that are the closest to the developing the solution. And I think that oftentimes communities are so innovative but they're not their in you know their their innovation is not tapped into often enough and so I, I love this bridge that we're trying to build you know with our communities because they they, they who, who best than themselves you know that are encountering these issues on a day to day uh, basis and so you know kind of looking towards the future essentially I'm curious to know um, Davis you know like what are these conversations about building equitable cities what do they look like in the classroom how do you deliver this information. And then 
Enrique, uh, how how has this topic or this issue? How has it been introduced to you? How how was how was it? Uh, how did you receive it while you were uh, at Arizona State University? Um, yeah, curious to hear your thoughts, y'all. Thank you, Mark. Um, for 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 the classroom, it, it's quite interesting how you know um, these topics could be discussed in, in different ways in the classroom. Um, but there are three fundamental things that we try to bring in, in, in the classes that we're teaching at, at, at the University of Connecticut, and it's really bring this idea of critical thinking, right? Like holistic thinking that, as I say, how students can think critically about, for example, the role of engineering in society, the role of technology in society. Um, yes, we're all very aware that engineering and technology are, you know, at the center of, of like, you know, societal development. But are, what are, you know, some of the nuances, some of the negative externalities of, of that development? So we try to like infuse that critical thinking in, in the analysis that, uh, that we do with the, with the students, while at the same time also teaching some fundamentals, right? So we need to teach the literacy about what do we mean by human rights? What do we mean by uh, environmental justice or equity? And it requires discussing a little bit, you know, topics that in which, for example, engineering students may not feel like super comfortable, you know, with long reading. So there needs to be, you know, a very dynamic environment where, you know, they, they still have fun while, while learning these topics. And the final thing that we try to do in class is really to use um, case-based uh, learning strategies or, or case study-based uh, strategies where whenever we, we discuss a topic, then the students will have hands-on experience like discussing a real real case study, right, of what happened. And something that we're trying to do in this area is to include both positives and negative like case studies, you know, success stories, as well as, you know, stories that, you know, discuss like what could have been done differently. And I think that's very important for students because typically when we discuss, especially about human rights violations, uh, you know, it, it could be very depressing, but at the same time, we have to think about some of the, you know, um, exciting and, and, and new opportunities um, that technology or engineering could bring to the fulfillment of human rights in cities and, and also, you know, in, in, in um, what is like rural areas and, you know, like locally, but also internationally, right? That's, that's pretty much, you know, my take on, on the educational side. And uh, I think on my side, uh, as a student in a classroom, uh, I, I, I have experienced uh, something very similar to uh, what Davis has just mentioned. Um, I had a professor when I was doing my undergraduate in urban planning. Um, his name is Dr. Jason Kelly from Arizona State University. Uh, and he uh, took a very similar approach as Davis just discussed, basically providing case studies, uh, outlining pros and cons of different approaches, things that maybe did, maybe did work, maybe maybe uh, examples of um, different things that maybe did, did not work. Um, and I think that sparks kind of uh, a curiosity uh, in, the, in the students. Um, but also, I think personally for me, um, it just made me a little bit more passionate about this, this subject uh, of, uh, you know, city planning um, and essentially being able to, to see, you know, um, that that certain certain strategies did work or did not work, um, and I, I guess motivated me to be able to um, to be able to kind of you know join the public sector and be able to be part of of uh, policy change. So uh, yeah, I think that was that was very uh, very important for me as a student, kind of be able to interact with with uh, real life examples of of that. Hearing what what both of you um, 
said, I think the um, one of the things we may we might want to end with, um, and which I think is 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 uh, extremely important, um, is um, from your perspectives uh, in the roles that you play. What do you, what are some of the shortcomings? Like, what are some of the shortcomings of what you see in terms of 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 uh, both within city planning, but also within the research side? Like, what what does looking forward look like? And do you have any particular advice for researchers or government employer employees or youth or policymakers wanting to engage in a type of work, um, or or even um, you know uh, citizens or or other faculty uh, wanting to do more about uh, work within sustainable cities? Um, what are some of the shortcomings, and how do we sort of address it? How do we how do we move for, forward um, knowing these shortcomings? Yes, I think from my perspective uh, in city planning, I would encourage uh, you know researchers, community members, uh, just and uh, all the various stakeholders to basically reach out to someone, reach out to a colleague on the other side uh, of the table, uh, be able to interact, uh, and you know, for example, a researcher might might be able to join a planning board. Uh, to be able to stay relevant on some of the uh, ongoing issues in the community or vice versa. Community member could also be part of that uh, community organizer. So I think that that would just be one thing that I would encourage, uh, be able to learn what the other's work is uh, and find ways to, to collaborate. Um, I would also encourage, um, you know, creating connections uh, across the industry, being able to create a, a more of a bridge of knowledge from academia to government, the private sector, vice versa, uh, all of which just to be able to build upon, um, you know, different different uh, information um, and just tap into different sources of that. Um, and then I would also recommend, um, you know, exposing students to current urban issues in the local community. Uh, I think goes on to the first point that I just that I just mentioned, just being able to to collaborate uh, among, amongst all the different sectors. Um, and then just also to continue uh, inspiring students, uh, inspiring employees um, to be able to share with them just ways that they can make a difference. I think sometimes a lot of people wanna would like to be be part of that, but maybe they just don't know uh, what in what what way or form they could they could they could really impact uh, make a change in the community. So I think that that could also be be helpful. So Enrique, just real quick, um, um, what's the best way to do? How, what's the best way to go about doing that? Like I, you know, I could see a lot of students being intimidated, right? And, and I'm intimidated, right? I mean, I don't know the 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 work that you do is 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 super important, but how does someone like me, um, on the other end of it, um, become more involved? Like, do I just, I mean, how do we do it? Do I just reach out to folks like you? Is it that is that simple, or what's the best way of sort of moving forward to get more engaged in the community? Yeah, I would say that there's de there's definitely different ways to engage with city planning, uh, urban planning. Um, you know, it could be as easy as attending a public meeting uh, and just you know um, kind of doing that from time to time. Uh, a lot of a lot of information uh, from municipalities sometimes is posted on the website, so uh, that could also be be a source. Uh, also, reaching out to uh, individual staff members many times, uh, depending on on the individual, the organization, there might be some opportunities to collaborate uh, or to be able to um, you know get information, um, you know whether it's information on a, on a current project or on a board that's going on, um, and also maybe elected officials could also be could also be a way to be able to to reach out. So, um, yeah, I would say there's different different ways to to be to be involved and be be a part of that. Well, oh, great. I really appreciate that. Uh, and uh, Davis, what, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of the challenges, I think uh, one of the key issues is, um, you know, really like silo thinking, right? And, and uh, you know, some, sometimes, you know, it's very difficult to establish um, these collaborations 
um, like I'm very happy to be at the University of Connecticut because it, 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 it's very easy to make connections with, 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 with other researchers here. They're very open and, you know, bringing these interdisciplinary projects, um, they, they get really interested on that. Um, and another, I think, important point to consider, is, as we already discussed, is really um, bringing community partners to, to develop those long-term relationships with them. And again, you know, the University, Con the University of Connecticut is really investing on that too. Um, but at the same time, we have to be aware that all these um, efforts will really require time. So especially, you know, for in terms of research or teaching for junior faculty, that's something that we'll need to factor in. Like, you know, any of these efforts will, will take additional time. Um, but, you know, that's something that we'll need to, to consider and, and, and discuss as, as we develop the, these partnerships. Um, in terms of like teaching, um, something that I will always recommend is to bring like as many guest speakers as you can, uh, as you know, um, Rita suggested, you know, like really developing even these um, partnerships outside academia that, you know, they can bring real life experiences to, to your students. I'm also investing a little bit on, on diversity, how so that you can improve the diversity in your program, your educational program. Uh, in general, you know, this has been recognized the, at the national level, the, the National Science and Technology Council uh, identify um, like uh, developing, you know, diverse STEM groups as one of the priorities for America's strategy for STEM education. And we really, as educators, we need to invest on that. Not not because they they are saying it, but because we recognize the the importance of developing a, a diverse uh, workforce with with diverse perspectives and and diverse backgrounds. And and finally, in terms of the students, uh, something that I always encourage is to get uh, students encouraged to participate in in, in like hands-on experiences in, in the classroom, if possible, or outside the classroom. I do work with engineers without borders and the students there, they really come back from their trips on the work that they are doing uh, with a different perspective about, about engineering and, and society. And I always encourage you know, students to, to get uh, this type of experiences. So, so powerful y'all. Th thank you so much for, for that response. I think it was super uplifting, you know, very forward thinking. Um, you know, I, I love just this, uh, the, the, this notion of, of bridging knowledge uh both in and outside of the institution right like it really taps into this uh, essence of of um inquiring with a community working with the community building trust with the community which takes time it takes time and uh, i believe the both of you enrique and davis you both mentioned like it's a, it's a long-term uh goal that we're trying to establish and i i really love that um the what, what also came to mind as well is um a couple of years ago, I had, uh, I was, prior to starting graduate school, I worked at a community college and we had a gentleman from Google come and talk to us and how oftentimes students, when they're in the classroom, they get asked like, you know, what, what, what do you want to major in? What do you want to do? Right? Like these like broad, very macro perspectives. And he, and he asked, you know, he kind of posed us the question, like, we should be asking students, what problems do you want to solve? Which are plentiful. You know, there's too many <laughs> to count. And so I think, uh, Davis, I think you, you, you really touched on the essence of that, of like bridging theory to praxis, you know, which I think can oftentimes be so lost. We don't live in a bubble. We don't live in a vacuum chamber. These issues, when we step out of the classroom, we're, we're facing these racial and systemic inequities. Um, and so what, what are we going to do about them? Because it's, uh, you know, some of us are more privileged than others. 
And there are folks that, um, you know, like you, you touched on uh, homelessness. That's huge. What's behind that, though? And and it's just like really tapping into the core of the issues that we're that we're going through. So, um, yeah, want to open up the floor if there are any final thoughts uh, from the from our guests. Um, any anything about moving forward? Anything about uh, yeah, what what you would encourage? Perhaps uh, you're um, you're welcome to share any any resources. Or any projects that you're currently engaged in that our audience would like to learn more about so that they perhaps might be able to get involved if they're in Phoenix, if they're in Connecticut. Uh, yeah, feel free to share and we'll include the link um, in the description. Yeah, absolutely. So, one of the things um, I, I always try to do is to, to end like, you know, any discussion with a very opt optimistic perspective, you know, of like how change is possible, right? And I feel like uh, COVID-19 really has shown us that we have very, like, you know, it shows the fragility of our systems, right? And, and again, you know, quoting the Secretary General, you know, it, it kind of like shows us this um, delusion that we live in a post-racist world or the, the, the myth that we are all in the same boat, right? Like he said that in his keynote back in 2020, and I think we, we need to realize that that you know there is an important issue that needs to be addressed and, and engineers in this case they play an important role um the university of connecticut for example has like a really nice program where they send students to cop like they will send students to cop 27 and so students will have the chance to see oh well what's the bigger picture you know like all these discussions at this at this level um, but, you know, as part of all that, what I wanted to say is that COVID-19 has shown us that, you know, for example, people may be willing to, like, use more sustainable ways of transportation, like biking or walking. It shows that, you know, this change is possible if we really uh, put all people uh, on the same page, right? And I think that, you know, as we think about the future, especially, you know, with new pressures of climate change and, you know, inequality in our cities, how we can really generate this this real change and in the future workforce is the one that would be generating that change i think that's very important to, to infuse in our classes i would just say uh yeah there's definitely some uh, some major challenges for us to for us to solve as a society long term uh but i am i am optimistic that the future will be bright uh, but we just need to definitely get together at uh, various stakeholders and just work work together towards uh, towards a problem. Uh, and I think we all bring a lot to the table. So um, definitely looking forward to um, you know continuing uh, conversations like this one and uh, just continuing to be able to work and make progress in improving our, our communities. Love it. Love love the optimism. Love this essence of like reimagining you know a future society a future system it's like it's it's not working so we have to reinvent something right uh to to make it to make it more equitable for for all and uh yeah uh david emberg would you would you like to uh close us out any any final thoughts or words or suggestions for that matter as well no i i have i have no suggestions other than what the uh what the awesome panelists uh brought to the table i think it's really great i'd i'd uh you know i'd encourage um, our audience members to sort of um reach out uh, if they're interested in uh working on any of these topics uh with with the uh, with you know uh, especially community planners but also researchers that are sort of engaged in resilient cities sustainable cities however you want to call it um because i think it's important work um and i think we need to do more of it Agreed. Agreed. Well, with that said, thank you all so much for for your just amazing innovation, your perspective. And I think I and I also want to uplift the amazing work that all of you are doing on a day to day basis. I think all of you are an inspiration, not only in, in your respective spaces, but to our audience as well. 
As always, we're thankful for the support from the Office of Diversity and Inclusion and the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning at the University of Connecticut because it takes a village and it takes heart.